I love weddings, I have to say, I think just to begin to participate a little bit in the joy of the couple getting married, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And then if you get invited to the reception, bingo, free foods, or oh, funny stories, the joy of hanging out, and, and I mean, it's a wonderful thing. This week I was, I was looking at some Facebook pictures uh, of the marriage of the son of a good friend of mine. And it happened in Northern Ireland. Uh, but even just looking at the pictures, it just brought a big smile to my face. The joy is, is so in, 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 infecting. Is that, that sounds a negative term. Infectious, that sounds better, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it's great. And the thing is, the Bible loves weddings. The Bible actually, believe it or not, is a lot about weddings. It starts with a wedding in the Garden of Eden. And it ends with a wedding in the book of Revelation. And it tells us that there's a day coming when Jesus, like a bridegroom, will come to claim his bride, and then will begin a wedding banquet of everlasting joy and happiness and glory. That's what the Bible teaches. And we have been um, considering this in the Gospel of Matthew, and so you might want to open your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up and someone will bring you a Bible. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 25. And you'll find this on page 994. If you want a Bible, just put your hand up. Don't be shy. Um, Someone will bring it to you. Page 994, Matthew chapter 25. Uh, T.S. Eliot, in his poem, The Hollow Men, ends with these words. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. And Jesus taught his disciples something quite different. It's not going to end in a whimper. It's going to end in a wedding, a wedding banquet. And uh, last week, we considered this parable. Jesus tells a number of parables. I mean, this is such a, a monumental idea to wrap our heads around, isn't it? That actually, he's coming back again. He's going to wrap up all of history. And then there will be uh, a great moment of separation. There will either be the, the joy of heaven or the fear of hell. And there will be a great divide on that day. Now, these are such monumental, huge ideas that he gives a number of parables to help us wrap our heads around it. And, and last week, we considered the first 13 verses of chapter 25 where he likened the kingdom of heaven to a delayed bridegroom. And uh, he tells the story of the ten bridesmaids, uh, the five wise bridesmaids who were prepared for his delay and the five foolish ones who were not. And we saw last week that the point is, if we're not ready now, we can't gate crash then. And so it's important that we are ready and prepared for his coming. And it's important that we're prepared for the delay that will happen. He's definitely coming back, but there's going to be delay. So how does Jesus expect his disciples to live their lives in this delay time, in this time of waiting for his second coming? Well, that's what we've got in this next parable Uh, which is commonly known the parable of the talents. So let's read uh, from chapter 25 and verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To the one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey 
The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man. Harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. Well, keep your Bibles open. What's the kingdom of heaven like? How should we see ourselves as followers of Jesus? Like servants of a great master entrusted with his resources. That's what Jesus is teaching here. We should see ourselves as servants with a great master entrusted with his resources. Now to properly understand this parable, there's a, there's a few first century cultural factors to be aware of. Firstly, the word translated servant is actually the word slave. And the point of that is this. Uh, These aren't um, employed workers who choose whether they work for someone or not. These were slaves who were obligated to serve their master. Now, we have in our heads all the ideas of the Uh, the awful slave trade, the African slave trade, where uh, people were enslaved and taken to North America and treated horrifically. It was awful. It was wicked. Uh, But actually, the first century slavery in the Greco-Roman Empire was a little bit different. It wasn't based on ethnicity. In fact, at the time, a third of the population were slaves. People would actually sell themselves into slavery as a final resort. If you had no money to pay your debts, this is what you could do. You could sell yourself as a slave. If you had no money and were homeless, at least as a slave, the master had to provide you food and shelter and take reasonable 
care of you, and slaves could actually earn a bit of money and could buy themselves out of slavery. I'm not saying it was a wonderful thing. Uh, in fact, wherever Christianity has gone, the, what we find in here has caused people to want to abolish slavery. And they're still working today to try and fix the modern-day slavery that's still happening with, with trafficking and, and sexual abuse of women. Terrible and wicked. But what I'm trying to say to you is that slavery was just part of normal, everyday culture. It was quite legal. It was quite known. And the point is this. The slave doesn't have a right to choose whether to go to work that day. He has to go to work. He has to do what the master says he's got to do. You are obligated to serve. And we have to have that picture right as we look at this story. And I, I hope you realize if you're a Christian here today, that um, actually this picture of slavery is one of the pictures that the Bible uses to describe us as Christians. We're a slave of Jesus Christ. It's important we understand this category. Uh, the Apostle Paul, as he writes a letter to the Romans, he says th this about himself. Paul, a slave, is literally the word a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. And later in Romans chapter 14, he describes every Christian in the same terms as a, as a servant, as a slave of God, a slave of Jesus Christ. He, he writes this in chapter 14, For none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. This picture of slavery is quite a rich metaphor for us to understand who we are as Christians. And there's other metaphors, uh, much-loved sons and daughters and so forth. But actually, this is one picture that we've got to wrap our heads around. And when you become a born-again Christian, something amazing happens. You look at the cross of Christ, you look at his resurrection, and you say, I want to live with him as my Lord and Master. I want to serve him. I want, it's my joyful desire to please my master and my Lord who has done so much for me. And at the end, we're going to sing, you know, love so amazing, so divine, demands my, my soul, my life, my all. And, and, and do you know what? This is what happens when you become a Christian. To be called a slave of Christ is one of great honor. What a master to be a slave of. This is us. Second point of this story. They were entrusted with significant resources. Uh, we refer to this often as the parable of the talents. Uh, we think of talents as ability. For them, it was kind of the largest measure that they had, a talent. It was a weight. And, uh, you know, if, um, if this was a, a talent of silver, then today that would be worth about 400,000 pounds. If it was a talent of gold, it would be millions. So what he entrusts, even the guy with one bag, is a lot of moolah, right? There's a lot of money. This is a significant resource, 400 grand. Can you imagine that landing in your bank account tomorrow? 400 grand. It could be millions. It was millions with the guy, even if it was silver with the five backs. Lots of money. He entrusts his wealth to them, and he goes off on a long journey. Now, immediately, Jesus says in this story, immediately the man with the five bags gets to work. Let's imagine tomorrow... Uh, someone knocks on your door. They said, I've deposited two million pounds into your bank account, and I want you to uh, make some money for me. Would you know what to do? Two million quid. Would you know what to do? Now, there's no stock market. 
you, you can't use a stock market. You're going to have to be very uh, entrepreneurial, aren't you? You're going to have to do things like, um, I don't know, buy up more land on a farm, uh, buy some seed, pay for workers to, to put it in the ground, and then wait for the harvest, and then sell the goods in the harvest and turn a profit. Maybe you're going to have to buy a fishing business. Maybe you're going to have to invest in trading where you, you, you gather some goods, you stick it on a ship, and, and you do that risky venture of sending a, a, a ship with your, your goods out to the open sea to some other country where they don't have your stuff. They, uh, they buy that, and then they, you pick up stuff there, and you bring it back, and you sell that, and you're going to have to turn a profit. Would you know how you would uh, increase two million quid? Even thinking about that makes you realize there's lots of risks, isn't there? Have you ever invested in a stock that's plummeted? It's a risky business to uh, engage in such investments and, and, and business uh, enterprise. Think of all the hard work involved. Keep it on top of um, things, ensuring people aren't ripping you off, ensuring you're getting a really good price, paying your workers properly, paying your taxes, let alone all the effort of engaging in, in the work yourself. And always this risk. According to one report I read, 50% of small businesses don't last one year. At any given moment, 40% of small businesses are profitable, 30% are breaking even, and 30% are losing money. Risky, isn't it? And if you're running a small business, thank you. Good on you. And if you're employing people, you're a star. We appreciate it. Well, this guy, despite the risks, he gets busy. He invests the money for the benefit of his master. And so when the master returns and the day of reckoning comes, the first servant, no doubt, how do you think his face was looking? How, how do you think he's feeling on that day? Pretty good, don't you think? Big smile on his face. See, master, you gave me five bags. The big reveal. Here's five bags more. I mean, there's going to be some legitimate pride there, isn't it? That is, uh, that's a great return. Doubling his master's investment. And of course, he hears his master's praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. He's praising his character. He's praising his hard work. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'll put you in charge of many things. Now, think about that for a moment. You've been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. A few things. How wealthy is this master? Oh, I just gave you a few piffling million. Uh, you've done so well. Let me give you some real responsibility, something really to get your teeth into. I'll put you in charge of big things. Now, this is a parable. Um, and uh, you've got to be careful about extracting too much from a, a parable. But just think for a moment. What does this tell us about the life in the new heavens and the new earth? For those who enjoy that. It tells me that we're not going to be merely sitting around singing songs with harps. There's going to be some really useful things to do. There's going to be rewarding work where we'll... We'll engage in it, and I guess we're not going to experience the pain and the futility of a sin-cursed world. And uh, we're going to live all, for all eternity for the praise of God. And it's going to be productive. It's going to be significant. It's going to be thrilling. 
we mustn't forget that this life is not the main event. Uh, God has predestined his people for glory. For glory. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, came up with that phrase, didn't he? That this world is like the shadow lands compared to what is more real and what is more solid in the life to come. The eternal weight of glory that awaits his people. And there's a principle here that's true today, isn't there? That uh, if you're entrusted with small things and you do a good job, guess what happens? You get entrusted with bigger things. That happens at work, doesn't it? That happens in life. Being entrusted with small things and people see you're capable and they give you more things to do. It's a spiritual principle uh, that how we serve the Lord Jesus in, and serve his kingdom now actually has a direct connection with growing responsibilities in this life and in significance in the life to come. Now, I don't know whether that sounds discouraging to you because you thought heaven was just about sitting back and kicking back and doing nothing. And maybe your experience of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of getting more responsibility in your job in this life is basically they expect you to do more and they don't give you much more pay. But look at the outcome for this servant. He hears something very surprising. The outcome is great joy. Come and share the happiness of your master. This glorious vision of what is head is going to be one of great joy and happiness and fulfillment. Last Sunday night, uh, Martin Smith preached on the last bit of Zephaniah, which speaks of God delighting over his people and, and who he has saved. And it says uh, that, that uh, he will be rejoicing over them with singing. It's quite a thought, isn't it? That in the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to be hearing God singing. What's that going to sound like? What's it going to be like to be at the wedding banquet where the bridegroom is rejoicing over his bride? Where all that is evil and, and that hurts and that is spoiling is, is gone away, is no more Death is no more, and God is singing over his people. Christ is singing over his bride, and, and this is the glory that is to come. Come and enter your master's happiness. I think the second slave is particularly encouraging. I don't know how you rate your own talents and abilities. Are you a five-bag person? Are you a four-bag person? Uh, you know, I... I'm definitely not a five-bag guy. And so I'm very encouraged by the two-bag guy. I'm not even sure I've got two bags. Do you know what I mean? But I'm encouraged by the two-bag guy because, you know, it's still a lot of money. He's entrusted with a lot of responsibility, a lot of money. It was less than the first guy because the master assessed that he had less ability than the first. And that's always a bit discouraging, isn't it? Well, you know, not quite as able as other people. But actually, he was still given significant responsibility. And yet he worked with the same entrepreneurial endeavor. He worked hard and he doubled his master's investment. Can you imagine the smile on his face as he comes in? See, master, you gave me two. Ta-da! Two more! And what I love about this is um, he gets exactly the same response from the master. Well done! Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now, I think this is worth meditating on 
because my Christian friends, we're not in a competition where the most gifted receive the most praise. And so we must stop being jealous or being depressed because we're not as gifted as other people. Uh, there's a terrible curse that afflicts us, I think, where um, basically we, we, we look around and we don't see the people who've got less gifts than us. We just see the people who are more gifted and we feel hopeless, don't we? That's what we do. And uh, we're often tempted to hold back in serving and uh, think to ourselves, well, there's, there's other people who are more gifted than me. I'm, I'm not going to put myself forward. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not needed. But the Lord Jesus merely asks us to be faithful stewards of the gifts and talents and resources that he's given us. He does not expect more than we're capable of. I don't know about you, I find that so encouraging. He's given you the gifts and resources and abilities and talents that you need to do what he calls you to do. Now, whenever I talk to Andrew McCabe, and it was a privilege to even go out and uh, visit with him last November, he was so humble about his achievements. He never came over uh, giving the sense that he thought he was particularly gifted or talented. In fact, I think he'd tell you that he wasn't. But he chose to invest his abilities, his time, and his energy in the Lord's work in, in northern India. And you just got a wee taste in that video of the lives that he has changed and transformed. People's lives have been changed for eternity because he was there and shared how Jesus loved them. And uh, we heard a report this week that at the end he was in a hospital in Faisabad and the doctor who was caring for him was one of the boys from the Naub Ganj hostel. Because, you see, the, the investment of education, the poorest of the poor, enabled them to step up. And so the doctor caring for him at the end was from one of the very hostels he was involved with. Just one example of how the Lord used Andrew to just see tens of thousands of people's lives transformed, and many of them for all eternity. And there's no doubt in my mind that Andrew has seen the smile of his Lord and heard these words, well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, we may not be as gifted or have the same opportunities as Andrew did. It could be that we have much more than he had. But the question to each one of us disciples today is this. How are we using our gifts, our talents, our resources, our energy, our creativity today. How are you using them? If you're a Christian today, how are you using all that he's entrusted to you for his purposes? He's called on us to make disciples of all nations. That's the task that he's given to us. Now, when you own a business, I'm sure on a regular basis you're looking at what Money's going in, or money's going out, and you're thinking about, well, how can I improve this? How can I make this better? What do I need to do to, to make this business progress? Entrepreneurs are often looking for good business opportunities. And, and yes, of course, there are going to be risks. There are always risks. But nothing ventured, nothing gained. 
See, as Christian disciples, we're not called to simply wait around until he comes back. But he calls us to be entrepreneurial for the, with the gospel. To be busily leveraging our finances, our gifts, our talents, our energy, our resources to advance his kingdom. We're all gospel entrepreneurs. Doesn't matter if you've been given a lot or a little, if you trust in Christ, you're a gospel entrepreneur. And us, as servants of, of Christ, as slaves of Christ, our job is not to invest all our energies and our time just to advance our own little kingdom, but to advance His. Our goal as slaves of Christ is not to improve our assets, but His. So when did we last sit down and apply the same energy and thought that we have to our own finances and our own situation to think about how can I advance his cause, his agenda, to see his kingdom advance? When did we last think about that? And I think these questions come to us as a church as well. Charlotte Chapel is not here for us to make life as as comfortable and as easy as possible for its members. That's not why we're here, is it? This doesn't exist so it will fulfill all our needs and desires and that we would have a comfortable, easy life. We're here as slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our vision is to see lives transformed through Christ for the glory of God. And we've received a, a new building in the last year. We, we've, we've got finances. We've got people. And we're here not to merely sort of sit around enjoying being together. He's called on us as a church to the entrepreneurial work of advancing the gospel. What are we going to do next? What should we do next for Christ and his kingdom? Well, we started some conversations, haven't we, with the members do we need to make some more space for, for more people to come? Are we going to plant some more churches? Yes, we hope so. Are we going to plant one next Easter? Yes, we hope so. Barbecue next week. You heard that, didn't you? Uh, it's going to barbecue. That's good, isn't it? Church planting it sounds exciting. There's going, to be an, there's going to be one in 2020, Lord willing. How are we as a church going to be entrepreneurial with what we've been entrusted with Christ for the sake of his gospel and his kingdom? There's a day coming when Jesus Christ, and there's going to be a reckoning. And the Lord Jesus is going to look at us and say, well, uh, what have you done with all that I've entrusted you? As a church, what have we done with all that he's entrusted to us? I don't know about you, but I want to hear those words, well done. Good. And faithful. So I want to hear the words, come and enter your master's happiness. I, I, I want to see the joy of that day, knowing that actually job well done. But before we finish, we need to think about that third servant and his response. What does he do? With the significant wealth entrusted to him, gets a shovel, digs a hole, buries it in the ground. Now why did he do that? At one level, this is how people kept things safe. I mean, there were no kind of iron safes with some sort of digital codes that were hard to break. 
you, you, you know, the safest thing to do, by and large, was you know, creep out at night when no one was looking, dig a hole, bury it, and then uh, only you knew, knew know where it is. But of course, what if you get killed? Or get knocked on the head and forget where your money is? Well, that's the exciting hope of all those people with their metal conductors, uh, isn't it? They're going out in the fields, uh, and they're hoping that they're going to find another Roman treasure trove, because that's what they did in those days. And, and they, so there's enough people who buried their treasure, forgot where it was, and it's still out there. They're still digging it up. You can get a metal detector on eBay, I think. So, you know, I wonder if you might have thought, well, this is the safest thing to do. I mean, if I, uh, if I invest the money, I might make bad investments. I, I might lose it. And then what will the master think? And he hasn't got a very high view of his master, does he? I know you're a very hard man. Harvesting where you don't sow and gathering. You're not he, he really didn't like his boss. We know his boss is master. So did he do this because he was fearing the risk of loss? Well, that's the reason he gives in verse 25. I just think it's total spin. That's not the reason at all. And the master calls him out. Verse 26, you wicked and lazy servant. If the servant really thought the master was such a hard man, why not do the easiest thing to grow the money and just deposit the money with the bankers and earn some interest? Now, if you're working uh, for a bank or the financial world that invests here, uh, you'll you'll know that your reputation hasn't been the best since 2008, has it? But if I was a Christian banker, I would take a great encouragement from this parable that actually it's a very useful good to have uh, honest, faithful bankers in society. But this, this guy, what's he doing by burying it in the ground? He's showing how lazy he is. Think about this. He's obligated to serve his master. But by burying the treasure in the ground, he's showing his wickedness. He's basically saying, I don't want to serve the master at all. See, as soon as the the money's buried in the ground, he goes the next day and he's got nothing to do. He's effectively living as if he doesn't have a master at all. He doesn't want to have a master. He wants to do his own thing. He wants to please himself. And he buries the money in the ground and thinks, that's it. Responsibility over. He doesn't want to be a slave. And so, when the day of reckoning comes, his character is called out for what it is. You are wicked and you are lazy. Let's just say you, uh, you get a financial advisor and you've, you know, you've got your pot of money for your pension. You decide to take out early. You're not going to buy the Lamborghini. And uh, you find an inter- independent financial advisor. You give him, look, this is all your money for the rest of your days. And if you retire at 60, a very nice thought, not going to be true for my generation. But if you try at 60 and you, you live to 110, you're going to need that money to last for a while. So you give it to the financial advisor. Say, I want you to invest this. So um, you notice in about five years that the money's dried up. There's no money coming to your account. You go to him and say, well, what's happened? So oh, I just I buried your money in the ground. What would you say to that man? You what? You wicked and lazy financial advisor. That's what the master says. 
throw this worthless servant out into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, that day of reckoning reveals who are truly disciples of Christ. See, we can go through this life saying we're a Christian, going to church, enjoying the community, but in fact, if our whole life is just lived for ourselves, pursuing our own interests, our own agenda, we have no concern for the cause of Christ, no concern for the advance of the kingdom, we never, we never serve in any way. We like coming to church. It's really, really lovely. I, you know, how lovely to come to church. No, nothing to do, and you just walk out again. You know, I don't have to do anything. It's great. Well, actually, that day of reckoning reveals that you've never been a Christian disciple. You've never been a slave of Christ. It's the great reveal moment, isn't it? The Bible says we're either slaves to Jesus or slaves to sin and Satan. And on that final day, the truth of our heart attitude to Jesus will be revealed by the fruit of our lives and of our church. He's coming back. He's definitely coming back. There's delay. How are you waiting for his return? How are we waiting? Are we enthusiastically using our time and money and abilities as gospel entrepreneurs to advance his kingdom? Or are we effectively living as if we were not his servants at all? What will we hear Jesus say to us?